Welcome to episode five of the Beyond Podcast, where we interview people who we find inspiring, who might inspire you too. Our special guest for today's episode is Ruth. Ruth is currently a strategy insights and planning associate at ZS and is a co-founder of Mass to All. Previously, Ruth studied economics at UC Berkeley, where she was part of BAP, Cal Climbing, and the Berkeley Group, where she served as a project leader. In between her academic years at Berkeley, she interned at Amazon and Acelo. Welcome, Ruth. How are you doing? Hey, Ethan. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, yeah, Ruth was my PL project leader for um, TBG, and she's honestly been like someone I really look up to, so I'm really excited to have her on the podcast. Um, so yeah, let's get started. Um, I remember when we were like in TBG, we had like some like check-ins and stuff like that, and you mentioned um, like why you chose like economics for Berkeley. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about like um, your journey to like pursue economics and, you know, do all these amazing things at Berkeley. <laughs> um, first, thank you for saying all of that very kind stuff. Um, in terms of selecting economics, I think coming to college, you never really know what you like the most. So if anything, I came into LNS, the College of LNS, like pretty general, not really knowing what I wanted. And I think that comes from that when I don't really know if any kid actually really knows what they want when they're at 18. So I think it really comes from taking a whole breath of classes and just falling in love with the subject. Um, and then for me, it can go as broad as econ. And I think one beautiful thing about econ is that it kind of combines this kind of qualitative as well as quantitative way. And for me, I always think about um, one of the classes I really loved and um, it was Econ 172 or 174, I forget, but it's in a way that applies like econometrics in developing worlds. And I just kept thinking like, this is a way that you can tackle quote unquote macro problems where it's how do you increase education? What is the actual economic output? Like how do you get policy and actually change people's lives? And this is one avenue I really saw it. I won't be getting anything near a PhD, but I think the ability to have the power to do that with these simple tools is something you can apply in a lot of ways in your life. And I think it also helps you give frameworks to how to think about problems. And I think overall, just the concept of econ can apply to a lot of broad things, but also very micro things is what made me fall in love with the subject. Yeah. Have you ever had like, you know, second thoughts about like pursuing economics while you're at Berkeley? Because I know when I was doing CS, I always think about like, oh, if I wasn't really interested in high school, I might have like discovered another major that I was more passionate about in LNS. I think something that is super aspirational for me and I still think about it is, I think I would have done mechanical engineering and I'll say mm. like a big reason why. Um, as much as I do love econ, I do kind of have my qualms with it in a sense that it's really nice to like be able to think about concepts in a way like these super broad and nebulous concepts where people ask me like, what does poverty mean? Or what does, what does like X, Y, Z mean? That is so broad, like how can you quantify or how can you kind of make in bite-sized pieces for people to understand? But one thing I was always kind of envious about is that I can't really create something by hand. I think there's a beauty to CS or there's a beauty to technical abilities where I think for me, I watch these videos on YouTube all the time where I see how, like I read this concept where um, 
this one woman, she created a watch and um, they had partnered with Microsoft, but they were fixing Parkinson's in a way that they kind of send signals on your nerve endings around your wrist. And it was wow. the first time that woman had ever been able to eat cereal or write her name without shaking. And I think the ability to create something like that is beautiful where there's other ones where this um, one guy from Stanford and I might be misquoting, but he had made this device where you're able to check for malaria in the water or anything along those lines. And it's only 68 cents or pretty much under a dollar. And that was something that was, you know, a couple tens and twenties of dollars, or maybe even a hundred to just do that simple task. Mm -hmm. And it was able to make it so scalable. And I think that to me, it's, it's quite phenomenal when you have that capabilities, but I don't feel like I have that. So I think, I think about it all the time and thinking about, all right, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna take, try to take classes online and try to learn how to build things on my own, or at least try to like learn coding. Cause I still think that's very applicable. And I think if anything I noticed in school nowadays is that people do dual majors. And I think, mm. you know, it's always really nice when you're able to have kind of a more macro concept major and make you think about stuff qualitatively, but also have the technical capacity to build upon that dream. And that's my take on stuff. If I had to kind of go back into college and really try to like what I think would be the most impactful for myself, but you know, this doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I was talking to my brother who is now like doing like a master's in data science and he is in like consulting as well. And he mentioned something similar along the lines, like he wants to like build tangible things. And he's like really like into like building products for like consumers while like he thought like consulting was a little bit like macro. He wants to be like a little bit, you know, deeper in and like, yeah, I think that's like super, super interesting. And a lot of my friends have mentioned like they want to like get into engineering like later down in college. And I always tell them like it's never really too late. You can always take like a few CS courses for fun and, you know, see where that goes, even if you're a junior or senior. Um, yeah. But yeah, and and I know like we've talked about this before, but I think like one thing that was really helpful when I was talking to you for like um, like college advice or like career advice in general was when I was like recruiting and I was like kind of like really stressed out. And then you mentioned your like experience recruiting in, in college. And that was like really inspirational for me because it seemed like you really followed your passions and you kind of like found who you were throughout the process and you like stuck to your core values. Can you talk to me a little bit more about like your like mindset uh, when recruiting in such a, like a competitive environment as Cal is? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I'm pretty sure every college student always has some negative experience with recruiting. And I think it's completely fair. But I think for me, the biggest thing is I was never a believer that you had to get some crazy company when you first started out of college. Like I said, when you're 18, you really don't know what you want. I mean, if you're lucky, and I always say this about my sister, she always wanted to be a dentist and she always had one route. And I was always jealous about that, or at least like admired that. For me, I was, you know, my parents, like they had their very small town business. I was like, maybe that's something I'll check out. But the thing about like business or econ is that it's so broad and as broad as it can get. But I think for me, someone had told me once and I'm, it's a shame that I'm blanking out, but I thought it was very insightful is that the first two years don't matter. Mm. And it really doesn't. And you should really use those two years to explore what you want. And a lot of people might tell you otherwise, but for me, I never, I took that to heart. And my first year I was like, all right, 
I've always wanted to be a camp counselor. So I was a camp counselor for kids with disabilities as well as at risk kids who, you know, came from foster homes and really was spending a week's time with them to give them an experience they don't experience on a daily basis. You know, time when people really care and didn't judge them for anything. And I loved it because not only did I like love the kids and how inspiring it was, but the people who even joined, right? The heart and capacity and that they have too. And that to me kind of developed my passion a little bit more and wanted to work a little bit more social sector, at least wanted to work on some of those projects. So the following year I was thinking, you know, everyone kind of tells me that they know what like, like how, I don't know, like poverty or even just like wanting to do something, but you know, no one really just like pulls the trigger for anything else. So for me, I knew that I had grown up in a suburban neighborhood and I didn't know anything. You never know anything when, you know, I grew up within LA. I, you know, my parents took care of me. Like I never really had to hold like a second job when I, when I was in, when I was in education, I think that's so phenomenally privileged of myself to kind of focus on studying and being able to grow myself a lot more versus some other people who don't have that fortunate experience. And so I traveled abroad um, to Ghana one summer because I wanted to learn. I want to see something that was really different. And if anything, I learned so much more for them. I went in and I knew I wasn't going to change anyone's life, but I wanted to see. I wanted to see like if I can help them and give them any hand, but I wanted to learn from them. And what was most inspiring about that experience and what it taught me is that first why we pay taxes in terms of fixing our roads and stuff, but kind of how um, these places that people kind of fetishize as poverty and kind of thinking of how people must be unhappy. But the weird thing is that they were really happy. Life was simpler mm. in different ways. And if anything, they were really intelligent. I still remember this kid that I had just taken a picture of or just like recorded with. And it had been a month and a month later, he saw me again and he came up. He's like, madam, madam, like, remember me? Like I wore this t-shirt and you took a picture of my shirt. And I was like, oh my God, this kid still remembers me a month later. Like his memory must be pretty fast. And I just think if he had the same opportunity as me and just having the luck of the draw to be born in America, I can't even imagine what he could accomplish. And I think that one like drove me to kind of want to push towards more equity or at least like work on certain things like that. And to also recognize that I am so lucky to be in the position that I am. But those are my first two years. So I think yeah. naturally what you might think is, okay, like what that set me back from the recruitment mindset, you know, junior year, how would you fare against all these other kids who already had internship at very shiny places? And here I am with two random experiences on my like resume, like what does it say? But if anything, I think it helped me crafted so much better story that I had more passions I had more interest out of it and I actually got to enjoy my summers and I'm not saying that you know people don't enjoy their summers at internships it's just that I got to actually do something I really wanted without like guilt and through the first recruitment cycle I won't lie it was quite horrible for me in a sense that I've never done it I don't think recruiting is a natural skill at all I think it's something that you build over time I was very awkward in so many aspects, but I think it comes down to a, a numbers game. You can prep as much and you can do all that stuff. But I think at the end of the day, like I'm sure like plenty of people get depressed because it's like, 
who is this person to determine your worth within like a 30 minute span? Like you are so much more as a complex person. And I think once I figured out that the kids who got the job weren't necessarily so much better than me. There's so much luck that plays into it and they're only marginally better. And you might've just had a bad day or you might've just like knock on the head start on something, but you're very capable. And I think when I start having that mindset that like, you know, these kids aren't 10 times better than me. They are, they had gone lucky or they are just marginally better. And I just have to practice enough. Then I think I started enjoying my interviewing skills a little bit more because you're more willing. And I think another thing is that you're not interviewing for the spot too. You're interviewing the person interviewing you. And do you want to work with someone who doesn't treat you right? That just says so much more about their culture. And I think once I got that, um, it became a lot easier for me. But again, like I had over like dozens and probably, I want to say I applied to like a hundred places the first time around because you're really awkward and you meet those throwaway ones. But eventually you, you get better with practice. Um, so that's my junior year. I think that's, I got lucky enough that, you know, as Ethan mentioned, I like had my place with Amazon and I think it was a great place to work at. And come my senior year, it was also very difficult for me, but again, with enough practice and having really close friends to really like walk you through and having a buddy through the process makes this whole thing more worth it. Otherwise, again, it's very painful in a way because, you know, the separation between your self-worth versus someone determining your worth. Um, but eventually, again, with practice and time, landed ZS, which was a wonderful firm. So that's kind of how my whole journey looked like uh, for recruitment itself. Wow. Yeah. I, I think that's super, super comforting for like a lot of students who might be recruiting in their early years. I know like there's a culture at Cal where you can see like in the classroom, like people like talk about or hear rather from people in the classroom, always talk about interns, I re internships. I remember I went to a party with um, like TBG and like a few other consulting clubs. And I met this new guy and I was like, hey, what's up? First conversation starter was, where are you interning next summer? Oh, yikes. <laughs> and I literally was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I'm interning at Amazon. I was like, wow, that's super cool. Like, that's a great company. And then I said like, oh, I'm working at like, um, like, uh, like uh, arts and crafts, you know, like company or whatever. And then he, he laughed it off and it made me sad. But like, I feel like that was like one experience. I don't think it's true for like, most of Berkeley, but there are like those examples that can be discouraging when you're, when you're recruiting. And I think it's important to like, you know, understand your self-worth and just not get down on some things that are out of your control, frankly. So yeah, that's, that was super comforting. Like you said the same thing when I was like recruiting, which was super helpful. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll say one thing. <laughs> I always thought it was funny when people's job became their personalities, but mm. I think I think if anything, that's just someone you don't want to hang out with. It doesn't seem yeah. interesting to hang out with them. And at the end of the day, I always think like people are more dynamic. I never try to tell anyone where I work or where I went to school, or yeah. I just think it's never a good proxy to determine like someone's personality. So I just, I agree. I ask them like what they like to do. And then we talk about that from like music to hiking. And I think that makes someone a lot more fascinating than where do you work? <laughs> I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but that's just says more about him and who you want to hang out with. But I won't, yeah. I won't be naive to say that like 
what probably made it easier for me. I still think like there are certain levers that jobs have, especially in business. It's like, you know, having a decent GPA when you go into recruitment mm. cycle, because that's more of um, a metric that you can ter- determine. And I think from a lot of places, even recruitment, people have told me that that's a better proxy than just kind of some internship. They know it's not completely real for your first two internships, but being able to tell a good story about yourself is even more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if anything, like sometimes business is just, people just perpetuate the culture in a way because it's, it's already built and it's easy to conversate with someone. And I think it's a lot harder when you try to ask people what they do or who they are. It's just like opening about themselves and vulnerability is not someone that's something like some people like. So maybe it's just a crutch, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's, be something. That's, yeah. I think that's interesting because like I've worked at like environments where the only thing they talked about was like stuff associated with work. Like they would only talk about like, Hey, how do I optimize this code? Like, Hey, like, did you hear about this new like framework? And I was like, that's cool. But then like, I had an experience, a really great experience, like working at this other company in New York. Mm-hmm. And like, when I talked to those coworkers, it kind of opened up my like eyes to like what, like a, you know, a really diverse and like inclusive environment can like benefit like productivity. Like we would talk about like, music like our feelings (laughs) and like other things yeah like just talk about like a lot of different things like our aspirations you know you know the arts and stuff like that and it was just like super fascinating to have such like a stark contrast from like something I thought was like the you know the status quo for software engineering like where you only talk about work where like another like experience where it's like oh you can just be yourself and like that's something I realized was important when I was like recruiting for full-time was to like work at an environment where I could express myself as who I am rather than like kind of put on a mask where I'm just like a coding boy. I'm, I'm really happy that you got to be put in that environment because if anything, um, work after college consumes a lot of your life and you should yeah. be happy in the environment that you are, or you're just unhappy 80% of the time. So <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, thank you. And like, I think something that, you know, you've worked on that was super cool um, that you're working on right now is something that follows like what you said about recruiting is like doing things that you want to do. Like you mentioned, you want to explore a lot in the first and second year and you did that. Um, Like now you started like Mass to All with like some of your close friends. And like, how has that been for you? Like starting something from scratch? and like building an amazing organization that serves so many people and tackles such an important issue. Um, and yeah, it helps so many people. No, uh, <laughs> I think it always starts off that you never actually know how big something will become. Um, if anything, this all kind of started out is that I got to start working from home and man, it gives you so much more time back when you're not commuting around two hours to go to work or even having yeah natural social exhaustion when you're always at the site you kind of get some free time to think a little bit more and I think at that time I'm sure we were all kind of feeling nervous and scared and how can we all help in coming together as a community I think with that I actually started it off with a couple of friends and we didn't even come up with a mask idea we were talking from how do we have immigrant businesses because I know like a lot of like Asian businesses are just people who don't have access to the regular system for loans um, are getting pretty hard hit. 
and how do we help them get PPP um, and fill out the forms or to even, I think about all the food waste and how do we service like students who aren't getting their free lunches in, in all types of school systems and actually thinking about those aspects. But I think one of the individuals, um, Yoko, she said her mom was like, why don't you make masks for the unhoused individuals? And that concept seemed very, um, just very simple to us at first. And I think if anything, we just kind of drew in that whole idea. We had so many meetings with different people that um, who really made this dream come true from my friends, kind of like the core team was one of my best friends, Mo and, you know, Vicky, Nikhnaz, Yoko, Juliana, and, you know, a whole slew of people who came in and just like really helped us out. Uh, and building this dream was what was wonderful is how much I kind of going all over the place for this, but I'm just so thankful to have like all these people that helped us out. But in terms of starting it from scratch is how much I think it really is how much heart you're willing to put into it. I remember I was working kind of full time and I was sleeping at three in the morning. It's kind of when you fall in love with something, you're so willing and you're also having a team who all cares about something. So every single person in that had done a lot of like past social work in terms of helping communities. And so we put up so much late night to think about kind of setting up the structure. It wasn't just, you know, creating it all happen. It actually took weeks of conversation and iterating. And I always think about a book that I read um, by Eric Reese and I'm, I'm like blanking on it. It's, it's um, something startup, but it talks about this concept called minimum viable product, which I'm sure you know, Ethan, MUSCS, is that you kind of make a bare bones thing and you test it out in the market. For us, it's like we needed to get that foundation right and then kind of iterate over time, which is how it kind of was able to kind of launch itself is that we had to get the base right in terms of like, who's our vendor? How are we going to set the structure? How are we going to price it that's scalable? And to be honest, our our first strategy was that we just want to see if we can help Berkeley. And I think we all started off thinking, I just want to see if we can knock out one city. And I think with that, we became more ambitious over time and we changed our strategy. We were purchasing it at first. And then with more time, we realized like a lot of these other companies are giving away masks for free. Why don't we ask? Mm. And I think it also taught me the power of asking. And from that, it you can see now we scale to donating over like 1,000, like 180,000 masks with both like reusable and um, disposable. And again, with all the teamwork from everyone that had it, like I wouldn't have seen it grown that much. It was such a small thing, but I think one thing I would comment on it is that I think my work in consulting too really helped me with that, where mm -hmm. we took this big problem like how do we get masks to people and try to make it in bite-sized pieces to and taking it step by step and knowing that it's really like a compounding work. It's really painful in the beginning and I'm sure you connect at Cal and I hope you're able to talk about it is that it's so painful in the beginning and there's always these tipping points like is anything going to happen? Is anyone going to care? But I think it really taught me that people do care as well. Um, so I'm not sure if I answered your question, but that's kind of like a very extremely high level about like how um, it actually got created. And if anything, my friend Mo and I and this other girl Jess are also trying to help out um, 
this other project called Pope Wu and get like healthcare to people. But anyways, that's beyond the point. Um, that's a, I just do it on the side because I think like it, it makes my time a little bit more worth it because when you just kind of do your job every day, it doesn't feel that meaningful until you kind of do a little bit more of these passion projects, which I'm sure you feel like with this podcast and even connect at Cal is that it makes it more fun, your daily life and just knowing that you can take your skills and just like help people if you just gave your time. Yeah. And I, I think that's definitely true. Like once you like start something with some friends and you like fall in love with the mission and like building things, um, it doesn't really feel like work. It kind of gets you like energized. And I know I talked to like our co-founder, like Johnny about this. And he's told me like, do things that you like that make you energized. And it seems like that's what happened for you, like massive all. And just like seeing like those results are definitely very, you know, fulfilling as well, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about like what you mentioned earlier, like where you said like you had like a really structured plan um, when you were gonna, like for your initial strategy, when you were gonna tackle like one city at a time for Berkeley. And I think that applies to like a lot of things as well. I think like in like Silicon Valley or like the tech space, there's like this mantra where it's like move fast and break things. And like, honestly, my personal opinion is like, I don't really love it. Like that's not something that's necessarily helpful for like a lot of different like things that you're working on. Um, so like for me personally, whenever we're building things and connect at Cal, there's a lot of like sensitive information that could be like passed around in terms of like request forms. Like people could be asking about like mental health issues, like some of their health issues, et cetera, et cetera. And we like took like three months to re really like build it out to ensure that we protect like users' privacies and ensure that we don't like uh, misdirect people. Like, that was something that we really cared about. And I was curious about like your thoughts on that mantra, like move fast and break things. Like, do you like think like for like nonprofits, especially like what is the best way to like roll something out, um, especially when you're starting and you're starting to like help small groups of people first? Like what's the best way to roll out? I think that's a great question. Um, I, I think it takes a lot. I can't speak for all nonprofits. Maybe I'll just speak for the one that um, my friends and I were able to create is that you really need a strong foundation. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not that you're doing it every single detail. Like I would say that at the very beginning when we were talking, we were thinking like, who's our main vendor? Who should we actually connect with? And we always talk about this funny story of how we were going to purchase masks for $7 a piece or $5 a piece when it was a hot commodity. And every, and we were having this like model where we want to support local businesses and also donate. But, you know, in order to support local businesses, you have to give them some margin. And there's like kind of a middleman in between those. But we realized that's not scalable. And even with like launching, right, the GoFundMe, like, we had to create all the marketing materials for it. And we have to think about what's an effective launch. We do a lot of like prior research to create a sufficient base and to even just reach out to nonprofits and like build our credibility first, right? Like I think about what would make someone donate to us? What, what makes us differentiated from other like mass donating or distributing ones on the market? What actually like solves an unmet need? And I think it actually took a month of thinking it's not that, you know, we want to donate masks. 
sure, you can do that. You can purchase a couple, but if you want to scale, you have to think about a lot of different aspects from, you know, what is sourcing to distribution to how are you going to set up, you know, team meetings to even just, um, even just getting like donation or big funds or like all of these things. You have to have some baseline foundation. I won't say that we got super nitpicky because, you know, as we scaled to even SF, you change. Um, we weren't purchasing anymore. We were asking and um, it's all different. And that's where you can be flexible. But I think at the crux of it, we never really changed like our big thing. And again, where we're at now is that we're slowing down a lot more and we're not staying forever. We were here to kind of help like an unmet need at the time. But uh, maybe it's different for companies, but, um, and maybe long-term type of nonprofits. But for us, it's when you're a new thing, how do you get people to trust you is that you have to build a lot of credibility you need to like pressure test a lot of your ideas that when someone asks you like, why do I want to donate a high sum of money to you? You have a real reason to give them. Why should we donate to you versus another nonprofit that's doing it? It's because we deliver X, Y, Z because we're thinking it through. So for instance, the main value proposition that we had is that we wanted to give two disposable masks and we wanted to give a sanitation handout. It doesn't matter if you give someone disposable masks once, it doesn't mean anything, it's not gonna protect them. But you give them something reusable, they can wash it, they can use it over extended time. And if you give them, but how do they do that? So you complement it with, you know, CDC guidelines on how to be safe and where the local like um, hand washing stations, right? Like these unhoused individuals are either living outside or in shelters, like how, they, how can they get to the nearest sanitation center to kind of keep themselves protected? And so we were trying to think, in, think of like a holistic situation versus I'm just gonna give out free stuff. It's like, no, I wanna give out items that will actually be helpful to them. I wanna partner with partners who know how to talk to them. Like for us, we weren't donating to unhoused individuals by ourselves. One, obviously capacity, but two, we don't have that relationships with these individuals. These individuals, like they've kind of been a part of a system that's failed them. They're not gonna trust everyone. People keep thinking, and I learned this, is that just because you donate something to someone, they don't owe you anything. They don't have to take what you, you give them. There are people too. And actually these people have kind of been hurt over time or, you know, um, again, like I said, the system has failed them is that you want them to receive stuff from organizations they trust. And so having these nonprofits donate to them directly instead, they're more willing to take it. They're more willing to listen versus I'm some random person. I've never built a relationship. Like who am I to say you need this or you, mm. it will be helpful for you. Right. Um, they're not just charity cases, they're real people. And you know, um, that's kind of some stuff, but essentially what I'm trying to say is that your beginning has to have a pretty strong foundation, and but you should always be flexible with your plans for different things on how to scale. So maybe that's slightly answers of like move fast, break things. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but maybe there is some component in a sense that don't be afraid to be flexible um, when you start growing and there's all those growing pains. Yeah, that's, that's a good point about like the growing pains part of things. And like what you mentioned about, like, they don't owe you anything for like when you donate. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like those like lessons are like very hard to learn at sometimes. And I had a question for you, like dealing with those types of, you know, growing pains, do you ever take it personally? And 
like, how do you deal with those types of like feedback and how do you, you know, you know, overcome, I guess, the emotional, like the emotional side of things, if at all. So um, growing pains as in like team dynamics or in terms of like working with the clientele that you want to work with or? I think it's like both sides of things, like in terms of like working with a team, right? As you expand, there are probably going to be like some like clashes in personality or whatever, or like on the other hand, other side of things, like if you're like helping people, maybe they don't want to accept your help and they give you some constructive feedback, it might be hard to take. Like, how do you, I guess, you know, um, overcome like the initial emotional side of things and like, if any? I think that's an excellent question. I think we, again, weren't directly working with um, the unhoused individuals. We were working with more of the nonprofits and they were just like very helpful. We were just donating. I think it comes more with team dynamics. And I won't say with smooth sailing and we all loved each other. There were a lot of pains in a sense that there's a lot of different personalities, but I think one huge lesson that I loved is um, a humility of your team. Mm. Um, there's plenty of times that I was wrong and I love that they pushed me back. I've, if, if anything, I was actually one of the people who after was working a full-time job and I was thinking like, damn, I don't have the capacity to do like San Francisco. I don't know, but a lot of my teammates pushed me back really hard and they told me why and they told me how they might do it. And that's what convinced me that, okay, Ruth, if you're gonna do SF with them, like you're gonna double down. Like you're not gonna like half-ass something. But even again, when I said we were about to buy math for $7, like teammates and I, we were like pushing. It was almost like a 2v2 thing at first where we were kind of getting heated and angry, but there's a beauty in that, right? That you clash and there's different personalities. Like there's so many different personalities in that. But when I go to the topic about humility is the humility to be wrong, to recognize when I had a bad idea and people said it was a bad idea and I was okay with it. And I think I loved my team because there wasn't an ego. There wasn't a need to be right, but there was a need to care for people. And so that's one huge thing. And I think what made it really easy to work with a lot of these people is that we all had the same mission in mind and nothing is personal. We weren't like, right. we hate you because you're X, Y, Z person. Like, no, this is, we're working together. We're working towards a natural goal. We're not going to always agree. Some of us might have bad ideas. Some of us might have great ideas. And I think that's what made us like okay with changing and iterating. But I will say that like with any teams of growing pains are a different direction. If you have a different opinion, you should ground that fact. You shouldn't just come in and just because you have a feeling that you disagree, you're going to say you disagree. You're going to come in with a real rationalized thinking of why you think a certain way and prove it. And I think that's another part beyond humility is listening is being willing to kind of step back and say like, let her talk or let him talk and like, let's hear out the idea. Um, and I think that's what I loved a lot about my team is that they had all those components. So it, it made it easy and hard in a sense that we're so different, but also we're able to be different and actually create something so beautiful, which is like what we see now. Yeah, and I think those are really important skills to have like regardless of where you are like currently in, in terms of your career or like in school, like um, I remember initially it was really hard to, you know, 
get criticized for my ideas like early on in college or like at work that I would take it personally but like as I've learned like throughout my years it's really important to like listen to other people's ideas and the way that I approach like leading connect at Cal is I always assume my idea will like what is not always the best idea and like I always keep like an open forum like on my team for like other implementations other designs for like our system and stuff like that and that that has worked really well like people feel um, like their opinions are being heard and then they feel very validated and they're learning a lot throughout the process. So yeah, I just want to echo what, what you said, which is really, really great about the importance of listening and, you know, being able to, you know, uh, acknowledge when your uh, decision is wrong and stuff like that. Um, the last topic I wanted to like broach for, <laughs> for this podcast is um, something that I think is really uh, interesting, like you mentioned the importance of building a foundation for like nonprofits, right? And I want to talk about like building like foundations for relationships. So you mentioned to me like in the past, like when I was like early on, like early in college, like I, I think Ruth was my PL when I was like my second semester freshman year. And Ruth always bragged about like her oh, 100% God. matchmaking skills. <laughs> and unfortunately Ruth has never like matched me with someone so I wanted to talk a little bit more about like what you think is important for you know having these strong relationships between partners like what you found to be successful based on your own track record as an amazing matchmaker I want to clarify one thing this start off with my one of my like really good friends Vicky and I we were really bored in college, so we used to just set up friends with each other. And we definitely don't do them now. And we just said it just because like we were just like really bored. Um, we did set up some relationships and um, but anyways, to answer your question for that is I think I'll take a step back and saying what I think is important in terms of relationships. I will not say I'm an expert at all. I think if anything, it was definitely a huge joke. Um, is that I think it is very important to date someone who treats you right. And I will say another thing is to date, to kind of know what you want. And, and what I mean by that is that, and, I, and this might not apply to everyone. I always say that. A lot of what I say might not apply to everyone, but this is my take on it. So there's a lot of disclaimers on stuff is that, again, you don't really know what you want. You can guess all these things like you want someone who's funny you want someone who's intelligent you want someone who you know there, there's baseline criteria that you want in a person but in terms of what you really want it it takes time it comes you know like the first job you're not gonna love it you think you have you think this beautiful crafted idea that this is the perfect person or this is the perfect job or this is the perfect whatever but it's different when you're in one um but i think the baseline is that the person treats you right um if anything I had different friends always in like all these poor relationships, but I always said like the next person you get it set up right. And I always use one of this, one of these examples, I won't name names is that uh, Vicky and I had set her up and she had been in pretty terrible relationships in the past and she never really knew her self-worth. And I'm not saying that you need to date someone to find your self-worth, but dating someone who treats you really poorly makes you question your self-worth and for her I remember her saying like oh this person wants to hang out with me or they're texting me back I was like that's baseline stuff you know you you shouldn't be thankful for someone else the next person you date for doing that to you and it made me really sad and so we set her up with this one guy 
amazing guy who was one of my really good friends. And I thought they're pretty similar in values. Like, why not check it out? I never thought that they would end up with each other long-term or anything, but I thought he's going to treat her right. Whether or not they end up with each other, at least she knows what dating a good guy means. And it could apply for boys too, what dating a good girl means and what it means to kind of have someone respect you too. And so hopefully the next person you date, that's your baseline. It's no longer this wonderful thing that is happening, but it is something you deserve always with someone to respect you, to care about you and pretty much like not make you feel terrible about yourself. And funny enough, they're still dating now. It's been like almost three years for them. And whether or not they end up with each other, the next person or whoever she dates, she'll know that like she deserves a certain amount, if not the world. Um, But in terms of like building strong relationships, I think you kind of, again, this concept of dating around, I think I dated like different types of people and it really made me realize what I didn't want in a relationship and what I really wanted in a relationship. Um, one, one thing I always make fun of is, and I always said is like, the person has to think I'm objectively or subject, no, subjectively funny. And I don't even, and they just need to laugh at my jokes and feed my ego, whatever. <laughs> Not necessarily true because now I realize I really want a guy who's like equally funny or like at least has the same type of humor because that is such a big component of either my personality or what I value in people. I also really wanted them to, you know, be able to talk about, you know, certain types of subjects or a whole breadth of things, because I realized for me, like, I don't really care about like doing all these crazy things, but I, I like really value a good hearted conversation. I think it really means the world when I can talk for hours with someone that is beyond like, the latest thing that I bought or whatever and not to say that is like a bad thing from people but it's just like I realize like I get like bored pretty easily as a person that I want to talk about these super abstract like things and I'm not saying I'm an abstract person but you know it's kind of fun to play puzzles in your head with someone um and I think another thing is that I realize in a really healthy relationship is to talk through things I think people always say that you should never change for someone. And I don't think you should compromise your values, but you'll have differences with people. And I think when you're able to talk them through and really share what you value in a relationship, what they value and kind of find a compromise. Like for me, I think we talk about the five love languages and Ethan and <laughs> my whole like team that I had at TVG would speak to this. I made them take this five love languages test. Um, for me, it's acts of service is like the top one meaning it means the world when someone kind of does this, like I'm always super busy or something and they do something really simple for me, whether it be, you know, like help me, I'm trying to think of something that's terrible. Um, let's say they wash the dishes and someone is kind enough to wash the dishes for me and didn't have to ask me about it and just did it. And I think it's them caring about me to do that. But if it's for someone else, let's say his, um, his main one is like, quality time it means I should really put away my phone and like sit and like talk to him and like actually share those like uninterrupted moments with him or it could be different you know if his was physical touch then maybe you kind of put your hat like you give him a hug from now and then and kind of like showcase that you are making that effort for them and really it comes down to like communication and trust and all of that and like talking things through 
um, that really makes a difference with like different foundations for relationships that I see myself. Uh, but that's more into the relationship. But like selecting your party until there, you kind of have a baseline. You kind of like date different people and you realize like what traits are most important to you. But at the end of the day, I think like, may, not a lot of people agree with this, but I think like you can fall in love with a lot of people and a lot of people mm. can be perfect for you. Um, and, but what can, and I learned that from my friend when he said it kind of blew my mind because I think we're always on this one track mind thinking, we romanticize a lot of what we're in movies. It's like, there's this one person and you have this huge spark mm. and you fall in love and they're great. But I think it's actually, he said to me, he's like, I think I can fall in love with a lot of people. I was like, what though? That's like blasphemy. <laughs> he's like, no, there's plenty of wonderful people in this world, but what changes is when you grow with a person. So there's that initial point that you meet them and it feels amazing. But what really determines a relationship is how much you're willing to work for each other and loving someone is hard like it is so hard sometimes because we want to be selfish we are so irritated when you know they tick you off and you want to like not talk to them anymore but you're willing to work through it and I think that's where the components of experience things together where you grow with each other because people change like what makes the relationship better and not quitting and I used to make this joke to my friends is like at the six month point when I date someone, I get really bored and I just like stop caring. And, but I was like very young and I'm naive and thinking like when things get hard, I quit. But I realize now like a lot more mature is like, no, you kind of want to put in the effort and you choose and it's a very active thing. And people don't talk about that enough is that it's an active pursuit to constantly want to love and care about another individual that isn't yourself. It's easy to quit and like them for a little bit and when it gets hard to find something else and get like you know re-stimulated when you're in the chase or when you're early part of your relationship but now when I'm like dating this one guy for a year and a half now which is the longest I've ever been in a relationship he's like taught me so much but also just watching other people is like you actively have to do things and want to care and want to love and want to just kind of I won't say the word compromise, but like, just kind of find, like, again, I don't know where I'm trying to go with this, but essentially it's work. But at the end of the day, the crux of it is like, we have the same values, we can communicate and we're willing to put in the work to make like a good relationship, whether or not I will like end up with this person, but it's taught me like into my next relationships or any relationships that I'm in. Those are some of the key qualities that I need to do and have to do to have like a functional relationship. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly thought it was like all really wonderful. And I think that's super helpful for, you know, a lot of people, including myself, is like the importance of, you know, learning through experiences. Like it's okay to, you know, you know, like break up sometimes, right? Like yeah. as, as long as you grow, <laughs> you know? So yeah, with that in mind, that was like a really like fascinating, you know, answer and like really, really helpful for a lot of people. Um, and I wanted to end, end off on that. And I wanted to give you the floor for like anything you wanted to plug. I know you have a lot of amazing work with like Mass to All. Do you have anything else you want to plug? <laughs> I don't know if there's much else to want to plug, um, but this has been really amazing, Ethan. I really think what you're doing right here is very, very thoughtful, especially for anyone who wants to listen, but even just like catching up with your friends and just learning and opening your mind to different concepts. I think 
that's something that we should all do more and I'd love to do more. And I can't wait for more of your podcasts to come up and listen to what you're learning and all the fascinating people that you know. Yeah, thank you so much. And hope you have a great rest of the day. All right.